Jenny. <laughs> this is our first episode of Tay Learning, a Taylor Swift podcast. It is. I'm so nervous, but it's fine. We're here and I'm genuinely excited. So. I'm also excited and I think we should do a quick little blurb about how we ended up here. Yes. Well, <laughs> I mean, we FaceTime a lot and um, I live in Kansas City. I live in Michigan. And so we FaceTime a couple times a week for a couple hours, and we noticed that we were talking a lot about Taylor Swift. Like and Always, for hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my roommate cracked a joke about us starting a podcast, and Olivia was like, wait a second. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and here we are, and we're going to have another episode like detailing our Swifty journeys, as it were, like how we ended up here on an emotional Taylor Swift level, mm-hmm. but um, we've been Taylor Swift fans for a long time. I had her debut CD out when it came out in 2006. Yeah, I fell in love with her during her original Fearless era, so it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, we've been around for a while. We've had a lot of ups and downs, as has Taylor Swift has had some up and downs, um, but today we're going to talk about probably one of the biggest downs that turns turned into an up mm-hmm. in the history of the music industry, the Masters controversy. Masters controversy. <laughs> um, Olivia, tell me what you, from the surface, think that like the general public knows about the Masters controversy. I feel like the general public doesn't know why she's re-recording period they know that she's re-recording and people that don't pay attention to her life i feel like assume that it's a money grab um or the people that do know like minuscule details like believe that or don't fully understand the depth of what's been going on that you know it's just normal in the music industry for artists not to own the masters to their works or anything like that so like why is taylor swift making it a big deal when she's such a big superstar yeah that's kind of i was asking people what they thought when i was at work last night and i wanted to know and most people knew that it had something to do with her owning her music but people don't really know why she would want to like the beatles didn't even own their own masters mm-hmm. um but there's a lot of layers to it and we're kind of kind of gonna dive into that today because yes there's a lot to unpack there's a lot of taylor <laughs> and a lot of learning um so i wanted to start with kind of an official timeline and then we can go mm-hmm. and fill in the cracks in between yeah um so this all starts um really in 2005 when she signs to big machine mm-hmm. um she'd met the owner of big machine a uh, later would be owner Scott Borchetta in 2004. Mm -hmm. But in 2005, she signs to Big Machine. And it's important to note that she was only 15 years old and just desperately wanted to be a big country star. Like a record deal was her dream at 15 years old. So of course, she's not reading the fine print, understanding what that will mean when she's 32 years old years later. Oh yeah, of course, like at any and all costs. And Big Machine was new and she was their first client actually. Mm -hmm. So that was in 2005. Um, she signed a deal for six albums. Mm-hmm. So that brought us through Reputation, um, November 2017. Reputation does drop, and it is her last album under Big Machine. Um, and then in 2018, her deal with Big Machine officially expires. Mm-hmm. After that, she does, in the same year, 2018, she signs with Universal Records and its subsidiary, Republic Records. And in June of 2019, this is when the story really breaks, that mm-hmm. Scott Porchetta is selling Big Machine to uh, Scott Samuel Scooter Braun. Good old Scooter Braun. Love it. 
Um, from there, we go to August of 2019, where Taylor officially announces on CBS that she's going to re-record her first six albums, and her first six albums in order are Taylor Swift, her debut, Fearless, Speak Now, Red, 1989, and Reputation. Um, after that, in October of 20, and again, we'll fill in these holes here, but Scooter Braun offers Taylor a chance to buy her masters under, quote, unfavorable conditions. We'll get into what those conditions were, but Taylor says no. Um, so instead, that same month, he sells to Shamrock Holdings, which works with Disney. Um, November of 2020, Taylor Swift officially begins her re-recording because she is allowed to legally. April of 21, Fearless Taylor's version drops. And November of 2021, Red TV drops. So, or Red Taylor's version. Mm -hmm. So, uh, to critical acclaim. That's kind of the overarching timeline of how things worked out. Yes. Um, but there's a lot of details that we should yeah, break down. Yeah, a lot in between, for sure. Um, something that... You know, we had to do a bunch of research before we even like began thinking about this episode just because there are a lot of a lot of convoluted details and a lot of legal legality details that um even us as big fans didn't fully understand so like for me one of the big things that i needed to understand before even unpacking all of this is what does owning a master even mean um so basically there are two different types of ownership rights to um, music in the music industry. Um, there's ownership of the master. Um, the master recording is the very first recording of a song. And it's just like, you know, the original recording that ends up on CDs, vinyl, everything like that. The original songs that end up being played on the radio. And usually the musical artist themselves does not own the rights to those masters. Usually it's owned by the recording company. Um, but with digital media becoming more and more of a big thing in the music industry, it's kind of been more debate on about whether the record company really needs to, you know, control the rights to that master recording or not. Um, and the other type of ownership is the publishing rights, which Taylor, as the main songwriter on all of her music, it has the publishing rights to her songs, which is why she's even able to re-record her music. She owns the rights to the lyrics, the melodies, the instrumentals. Um, so she's able to re-record and make it sound different enough from the original mm -hmm. recording, AKA the master recording, to be able to like redo it. And that's a huge part of it, like her creative process when she was building those original mm -hmm. songs. That's part of why she has so much ownership over those publishing rights, because I mean, that covers the lyrics of work before it becomes mm -hmm. a sound recording, melodies, sheet music, comp composition, instrumental arrangements. Um, yes. Songwriters do typically own publishing rights and are referred to as the publishers of music. But yeah, US copyright law basically said that the specific sound of the recording and the musical work that was released is a master, which is not owned by her. And if she had chosen to be an indie artist, it would be a different yes. story. I will say, though, it's kind of interesting. Something that I learned while we were doing our research was that she can kind of veto the right of the people that own the master in terms of using her old music for commercials, TV, everything like that, because she does have publishing rights. So she can be like, I don't approve you to use shake it off my original version in that commercial. Mm -hmm. Wait until Taylor's version comes out. <laughs> Which I think is a boss move. Mm -hmm. 
But if we go all the way back to when she did sign her contract, um, so at the very beginning, Scott Borchetta, who used to work at DreamWorks, um, teamed up with a very popular country artist, Toby Keith, to start Big Machine. Um, and Taylor Swift was singing at the Bluebird Cafe in Nashville for an industry showcase where Scott Borchetta sees her and decides that he wants to sign with her as his first artist. And again, the conditions weren't great. No. She's, <laughs> she's 15. She wanted to be famous. Um, she basically signed away the rights to her first six masters, like, and she had to sign with them for 13 years. So she, she was in deep. <laughs> she was in deep. Um, and her father, who worked at Merrill Lynch, had bought a 3% stake of Big Machine at $120,000 at the time. Mm -hmm. She really liked the idea of working with a smaller um, company because that gives you a certain advantage. They get to spend more focus and more money on you. And also, again, her father had the means to buy into the company yes. and make it kind of a family ordeal. Um, Eventually, Taylor Swift does become 80% of Big Machine's revenue. That is their baby, Taylor Swift's masters. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't exist without Taylor Swift. Yeah, she made them what they are for sure. She Absolutely. was their first signer ever, too. Yeah, mm -hmm. she was. Um, and Toby Keith ends up leaving the label later in 2006, but that does not stop Big Machine from growing to manage Danielle Bradbury, Sugarland, and ironically, Tim McGraw eventually for a period of time. Tim McGraw. <laughs> Literally, like it, it just, I don't know, it's kismet, I guess. Um, but they, she was under that management for a long time under a relatively good relationship. Yeah. Yes. I don't think there were any big problems with Scott Borchetta. No, I think she considered Scott Borchetta to be like a family member too, which is why she ended up feeling so betrayed when enter Scooter Braun. So I guess for a little bit of context with Scooter Braun, um, I, I don't know the exact term of like what we even call him, like what his like role is in the music industry, but he manages a bunch of big name artists such as Justin Bieber, um, Ariana, Ariana Grande, Grande, Demi Lovato. And I don't know if he still manages Kanye West, but he did manage Kanye West when all the drama between Kanye and Taylor went down. So I know in Taylor's point of view, she kind of half credits um, Scooter Braun for some of the Kanye stuff that went down. Like he supported Kanye through it, coached him through. Um, There's even rumors that he helped come up with the revenge porn yeah. wax figure Taylor Swift in the famous music video. Yeah, which we'll definitely take an episode to deep dive that. But absolutely. There's a lot of lot of there's layers here some, some bad blood if you will like from the from the get-go um but um so when she decided that she did not want to re-sign with big machine records um it was a kind of a moment where she was in negotiations with buying back her six masters that she signed away to big machine um and scott borchetta offered her a deal to earn back her master's if she signed another um, years long contract with them and that she would earn one master back at a time per album she put out with them. So therefore she would have had to release six more albums to earn back the rights of her original masters. 
And she said, yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's a horrible deal. Like, yeah, it's eye for an eye, tip for tat, whatever. But you're literally in the same position that you started in. You're yes. sacrificing six albums. Exactly. What a horrible deal. Um, so when she left them and uh, they sold Big Machine Records, she found out via the news that they sold the rights to Scooter Braun, which she felt was a massive betrayal given the fact that she felt like Scott Borchetta was a family and she feels like she'd been bullied by Scooter Braun for years. Yeah. I mean, she did call him an incessant manipulative bully very yeah. publicly. And there was mm -hmm. a lot of controversy around her saying that, like, oh, he's a bully for being a businessman. I mean, it's an opinion, but, you know, he wasn't exactly a fair player in mm -hmm. the Taylor Swift game in 2016. Yes. And um, the people that he managed, like, um, kind of aggressively took to social media and were like, oh, when Scooter Braun buys Taylor Swift, it's just very clear what the feelings and intentions were there and um, just, ugh. I mean, yeah, it wasn't, it was, yeah, they were hitting yeah. low. Um, Scooter Braun, if you're wondering where this money kind of comes from or his specific place in the music industry, um, Ithaca Holdings working with um, SB Projects, the so Scooter Braun Projects, that's like his management company and where his funding comes in. Um, and he did end up buying Big Machine from Scott Borchetta for $330 million by private equity firms in a leveraged buyout. And a leveraged buyout basically means he borrowed the money. He mm -hmm. didn't use money straight from SB projects. He got a lot of people to invest in buying Big Machine, which 80% of Big Machine's yeah. revenue was Taylor Swift. And Taylor Swift is such a big name in the music industry in general. So like that's a prize it you know <laughs> it's like, like it's a great deal 330 million dollars for one of the biggest names in the history of music seems like a great deal except for the fact that taylor swift very vocally threatened to re-record her music and scooter braun said publicly she's lying this is an empty threat keep investing in this i don't want this leverage buyout to fall through she's bsing us mm -hmm. she was not bsing him. right because he always accuses her of quote unquote, weaponizing her fan base. So in publicly stating this all is going on, um, some, you know, Swifties on the side of things that probably took it, not even probably definitely took it too far. Um, like he was receiving death threats. Um, and for the record, that stuff is not cool. If you're out there doing that, absolutely do not. But so he, you know, yeah, they kind of had a, a basis for accusing her of weaponizing her fan base, but that's not what she was intending to do whatsoever. Now, some people are just really passionate, and I don't think there's anything wrong with passion, but there's absolutely something wrong with death threats, especially over a business deal. Um, but in the name of that business deal, one of the things that makes Scott Borchetta look really bad, um, honestly, was that part of the deal he made with Scooter Braun was that he got to stay, Borchetta got to stay the president and CEO of Big yes. Machine Records with the transfer. He just wasn't owner anymore. Um, so this was a really dramatic period of time. Yeah. And I imagine heartbreaking for Taylor. Yeah, I mean, I don't have the verbatim quote in front of me, but I specifically remember her saying something like, you know, it's so hard when the music that you write on your bedroom floor when you're 16 years old ends up in the hands of someone who publicly, like, does not respect you. Yeah, and helped humiliate you. Mm -hmm. And we'll have an entire chat, like Olivia said, about what happened in 2016, but it's not 
dramatic to say or not overstating it to say that her career was at risk in 2016. Yeah. I was living in Australia at the time. And there was a massive billboard that said Rip Taylor Swift, 1989 to 2016. People mm -hmm. were not playing around. No. And a lot of that had to do with Scooter Braun. Yeah. So all of this news comes out. It's the summer of 2019. Um, and Kelly Clarkson sends a tweet at Taylor Swift saying, just an idea, you should record your past music if they're not going to let you own it. And no one knows for sure where that brainchild came from. Taylor Swift <laughs> might have already had that in her mind because she's kind of a musical and business genius. Yes. But Kelly Clarkson might be the reason that Taylor Swift got prompted to do that. So I guess yeah. shout out to Kelly Clarkson. Yeah, shout out. Um, and because they could never reach a deal, um, that's what Taylor Swift decided to do and very publicly announced that she was going to do that. Mm -hmm. Now, Borchetta liked to go to the public and simply say that she declined all opportunities to buy the masters, which isn't wrong, mm -hmm. but it's missing some serious context. Like you were saying about having to record six more albums that she would have to sacrifice. Yeah. With a label that she wanted to leave. Like she didn't want to stay stuck. And I understand from a business standpoint, like, of course, that's going to be the deal that you offer. Um, however, she has every right not to take it. So, yeah. Um, and especially at the time when Braun bought the masters, um, he bought them for $330 million along with all of big machine. But mm -hmm. at the time her masters were worth upwards of $450 million. Mm -hmm. If you factor in earn backs. Yeah. So it seemed like a really great deal. I don't know why he did not take her vocal thread about re-recording more seriously. Yeah. And also it's kind of wild too, because I believe at one point she said something like it wasn't about price that she said that she would pay any price for it. So she has the means. <laughs> yeah. So for them to just completely disregard her, but then, you know, if they end up back in the hands of Taylor Swift, that leaves no room for negotiation for anyone to ever have ownership of them. Cause there's no way she would, sell the masters to her music yeah and then after that we kind of enter a period where they are shooting at each other proverbially speaking um they blocked her big machine blocked her from using her past music at the 2019 amas and for her miss americana documentary mm -hmm. she did not care um at the amas four of the six songs she sang were from her first six albums and presumably this is without permission but she was artist of the decade. She did not care. I believe she did get some sort of permission. It was like last minute permission, I think. Did she? So oh. yeah, um, I think she made like a really big public deal about it because it was in anticipation of winning mm -hmm. artist of the decade. Um, obviously I don't have receipts right now, but I'm pretty sure she did get a level of permission. Okay, that would yeah. make sense. Um, but they did still block her from using anything in Miss Americana, yeah. which was- And they definitely tried to block from so when she used that music and um, was very vocal about her frustrations, they fought back at her by releasing Live from Clear Channel Stripped, mm -hmm. which is a 2008 unreleased, previously unreleased live performance by Taylor Swift. Yep. They weren't really allowed to do that, but they were gunning for yep, each other. They, they did not ask for her approval for that. <laughs> so that is on Spotify currently. <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, like we said, the timeline, October of 2020, um, Braun does sell her works to Disney's investment firm, mm -hmm. Shamrock Holdings. I think Disney just kind of right. owns Which I think it's everything. important to note that Taylor did try to negotiate with Scooter about buying them from Scooter directly. 
And he told her that the only way he would even start to consider negotiations was if she signed a quote unquote ironclad NDA that she would never speak negatively about him in public ever again. And that's not even an agreement to, you know, if you don't talk badly about me in public, then therefore you get your master's. It's if you sign this legal document saying you won't ever do this, I'll think about it. Which is insane to me that that was ever even something that he thought would be on the table. Okay. Um, you're allowed to have your life's work back. Maybe. Maybe. If you sign an NDA. And if, if she was saying that it was ironclad, she signed a lot of NDAs in her day. Mm-hmm. That thing must have been Yeah, there's a reason why she was said, uh, no, and then took to social media and wrote about it. (laughs) Unfavorable conditions is the understatement Mm -hmm. of the year. That's like an ex-friend being like, please don't tell anybody anything bad about me. Mm. (laughs) Like, that's that's what that is. (laughs) Um, Very very bizarre. So like, even on a personal level, that just is upsetting. Yes. So she says, uh, screw you, Mm -hmm. respectfully. Um, Of course, he still wants to sell them. Yeah. Money, you know? <laughs> Money, of course. And he realizes that if her like her thread is not empty, she's going to re-record. I got to get these off my hands. Mm-hmm. Enter Shamrock Holdings. Um, so she signs to Universal, and um, she's not playing any games. She's Taylor Swift. She can do whatever <laughs> she wants. Yes. So she reveals later that there was a negotiation as part of her um, Republic Records contract, which affects all artists signed to Universal. So she was not only fighting for herself, but for other artists. Mm -hmm. Any sale of the company shares in Spotify, which is the largest Mm on-demand music streaming platform in the world, and likely what you're listening to this on, resulted in equity shares for all Universal artists on a non-recoupable basis, not just her. And I feel like that's something that's really important to note about Taylor Swift. People on the outside who don't don't really like look deeply into her life or re- reasons why she does what she does, I understand how she can come across as all oh, money grabbing, greedy. I mean, you know, when was it? Like back in 2012, she stripped all of her music off of Spotify because yeah. they weren't, you know, giving proper payment. Yeah, payment to artists. And that wasn't for her and her wallet. It was for the artists that literally don't have the platform to make a difference by taking their music off Spotify and boycotting Spotify. So it it feels like a lot of the things she does, she's aware that like it doesn't necessarily affect her or benefit her, I guess I should say, but it benefits smaller artists. And even with um, this whole master's debacle, um, she's not the first person to struggle to get her master's back by any means. The Beatles, Prince, like... Jojo, we recorded her music in 2018. Yes. So she's definitely not the first, but she's the first to make it such a public, dramatic, you know, publicized issue. Yeah. And that therefore affects newer artists like Olivia Rodrigo specifically Mm -hmm. um, has gone on record saying that because of seeing how Taylor Swift has been fighting for the rights for her music, she made sure that she signed a contract that gave her all legal rights to her music so she's kind of you know starting this new wave in the music industry so what she does basically isn't just for herself but for others who were the 15 year old taylor not knowing what they were signing into and i'm glad you brought up her removing her music from spotify because i love that idea in theory in Mm -hmm. practice it didn't really work because she publicly was like i'm removing my music because we're not getting paid well enough and that didn't directly impact any other artist because especially smaller Mm -hmm. artists at the time any money that they get at all is money that they need so Mm -hmm. it was kind of a privileged stance to say i'm removing my music in protest 
this was an actual act that she did to positively impact other artists that are signed to yeah. the same label she it is. It wasn't about her because she was, you know, still going to make hella money regardless. Yeah. <laughs> like 2012, what she did with Spotify, great in theory, less so in practice. Mm -hmm. This was a tangible, noticeable change for all universal artists. And the fact that yes. Taylor Swift has the leverage to do that for every single one of Universal's artists, which is like the largest recording company, um, I think, I don't have that in front of me, but I think I read that. Um, <laughs> that impacted a lot of artists mm -hmm. and that's huge. Yes. Um, and she also, you know, uh, it was for herself and she also contracted that she would fully own the albums distributed yeah. by the label, the masters and the publishing And rights. I feel like it's important to note that when Taylor wants to own the masters to her, her music, that's not, I want all like monetary benefits. It's, I feel like to her, it's a very sentimental oh, thing. Oh yeah, it's totally personal. Her, her music is very, very personal to her. So it means, it's like literally invaluable to her to own the masters, which is why when her re-recordings, like the whole point of it is to essentially put out music that sounds similar enough to the original. And her fan base is so loyal that we don't listen to anything that's not Taylor's version if there is a Taylor's version out. So she's essentially devaluing the masters of her original music to make it so that it's only valuable to her yeah. because it's emotionally and sentimentally valuable. It is. And because she wrote that music, she designed the music and the mm -hmm. melodies and stuff. It's very different yeah. than having lyrics handed off to you and production handed yeah. off to you and just recording it. This is her diary. And down to like the album cover designs too. Like she's had a hand in her entire career. Like she's extremely involved she is and i could not imagine having that essentially ripped from me so you're yeah. right the masters is never about the money she's got plenty of money and she is aware of it mm -hmm. um she doesn't need it she just wants to own her personal life told through song and don't we all like yeah i mean if, if i were to tell this Taylor Swift and i was like vomiting my diary onto lyrics and then showing the world and then that was torn from me and got sold to your high school bully i would be a lot meaner than she was yes let's be clear, yes. Let's be clear. the way she handled it was like with grace and elegance mm -hmm. her fans there were some fans that went a little too far yeah. but she handled it with grace and elegance i would have gone down fighting the, yeah. me the media would rip me to shreds. And I think that's something that a lot of people who aren't famous kind of lose perspective on when they're like judging these issues and not understanding like, well, why is it a big deal? But if something like this happened in your personal life, I don't know many people that wouldn't make a big deal. Yeah, I completely agree. And it is so personal to her. So personal, in fact, that when Shamrock Holdings ultimately offered an equity partnership with Taylor Swift, she was like, no, yeah. this isn't a Why partnership. Would I? <laughs> this is this is my work. I did this. This is my baby. We're not going to be co-parenting it. No. So she declines. Like, who even are you? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> who are you? Um, she declines and she vocally announces that she intends to re-record her back catalog. And like I said, this was announced in August of 2019 on so CBS. exciting. Such an exciting day. <laughs> and this was around the time that Lover was coming out. So there was a lot happening. There was a lot happening. Um, it was such a big deal with Lover, too about how this is the first album that I own. And so I think fans really kind of took that album in as like our baby too. Like that's such a significant album to Taylor. Yeah, it really is. Um, Olivia, I think we are about hitting the end of this episode, the yeah. first Masters episode. Love. Um, so Masters Controversy Part 2 will be about her 
re-releases. Yeah, and what, the impact that has had. The impact that it's had. What spoiler alert? Huge impact. Huge impact. <laughs> um, it's my favorite part. <laughs> and uh, what other artists think about it? Um, and I'm really excited to talk about that and the impact I'm too. I'm just excited to get this podcast going. Honestly, we have so many great ideas. We hope everyone sticks around for them. Um, from you know talking about the re-recordings to doing analytical deep dives of different songs. Um, drunk episodes. Drunk episodes. Drunk episodes. <laughs> talking about spicy Taylor songs. Listen, this is about to be a lot of fun, and we really hope you join us. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're very excited about it. Um, we also have an Instagram, at um, TayLearningPodcast, if you want to follow us on there yes. um, and submit any ideas. Yay. Because we're going to need them. <laughs> but, yeah, um, the next episode um, is up now, if you're listening yeah. to this. So, <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye.